Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirades filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William No Clever Name This Week Johnson. <laughs> I thought you were going to pick some 60s sitcom Big Kahuna, I think. No, no not a, not a, you're not an appetizer I, in a bad restaurant as, name here today. As you'll hear in my five minutes, I'm not a hater of this movie, but I am definitely a stranger in a strange land in this one. So. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, <laughs> to, all, to all the fellow castaways who washed up on the beach of this show, uh, we're damn glad to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love, but for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we welcome back a previous guest, Ken Reed. He's here to talk about uh, Back to the Beach, and uh, it's been recommended to him. It's part of our two-part little partnership with him, and Ken, say hello. Hello. Yeah, that's, our, that's our man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he just said say hello to us, so I was following guy. instructions. He, did, he followed Ooh, instructions yeah, yeah, to yeah, the yeah. T, to the T. And uh, as any of you will know, if you heard our last episode um, on Repo Man, uh, I'm kind of like a Ken fanboy. I, I'm a big fan. I, I, <laughs> so sorry. I am, I am so, he, he is sorry, but I'm not. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to have him on the show again. I get to... You know, uh, get to say like, yeah, I had Ken Reed on my show, and, and people will look at me like, what? And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I, I said what I said. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I, I'm a huge fan, Ken. I'm so glad you're back for a second episode. Thanks for coming back. Oh, thanks um, for having me. But if someone is just jumping on for the first time, can you give us a little rundown of like what you're about? Yeah, uh, I am a stand-up comedian from Boston. I've been doing a podcast called TV Guidance Counselor for about nine years now. And uh, someone picks an old issue of TV Guide. They go through it and pick what they'd watch that week historically, and then we talk about it. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and that is me. Yeah, uh, okay. and you, what's your? I, I do want to clarify for the record because you said you own every, the, well, almost every back. TV Guide from what year to what year. Uh, it was about the, the mid sixties until about 2000, but since I've been doing the show, that's expanded in both directions. Oh, uh, a lot of people oh, send me TV guides and, uh, I've obtained a lot more. So, um, it's, it's most issues. Although the one caveat is every issue of TV guide has about between 15 to 30 variations because of regional regionality. I hearing about that. Right. So, so, so are you I, that you know, guy with like region. baseball cards or like, got it, got it, need it, need it, got it. Like you, when you get these not, multiple stacks of archived items, not always. No. Um, mm. and, and I've, I've been slowly getting rid of paper. Um, and I scan things. So since I, I've been doing the show, oh, I used to do the show in person. Um, but I've been doing it fully remote since uh, COVID hit and now I scan them. So, uh, you know, I scan it and kind of get rid of it. So I do have a large uh, PDF archive now as well. Um, nice. And so that's, uh, I realize I'm the only person who's scanning TV guides. Uh, <laughs> PDFs. They're not easily accessible on the web. Now I picture a, a guy, you know, a guy our age, like walking to like the library with like a brown paper shopping bag of TV guys trying to, hey, you can sc is the scanner open? You know, like. But I assume you do this. At home. I invested in my own man. Yeah, I was gonna say you have to, and and, and I was always trying to think. Now tell me when, because I'm a big fan of the show, TV Guidance Counselor. Uh, when you would have guests on, and you would be like, oh, I sent you the information. Did you literally used to send the TV guys and send them back? Yeah. 
Yeah, I would mail them a TV guide because I would do it in person. So I, about twice a year, I'd go out to L.A. for like all of October and all of March. And so I would bank, you know, 20, 25 episodes while I was mm. between those two months. And then anytime people would come through Boston, they'd come over and, and record here. Um, but then some people, yeah, I would mail them the TV guide. Because the thing is, once once I would do the guide, that issue was essentially burned. So I would let people just keep it, which people were oddly psyched about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I, that's. Hey, man, you know you gotta you you, you have hey, the following. Yeah. I mean, you make me interested in TV guide. Like, if I find an old TV guide, like I kind of do what you do on the show. I, I'll go through and be like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna watch that that day. I'm gonna watch that that day. And it's a fun <laughs> exercise. And there's I, some great I, I articles. Love yeah. I love it. And in this in and this world of. Of, oh, yeah. In this world of like you know me and Don being two white guys talking about movies, and who's heard of that? You have a truly original idea. I love it. I just love that you have your own concept. And, oh, thank you. And you know that's that's rare in this day and age. So you should be very proud of that. Um, thank you. I was talking uh, about last episode about some of my favorite episodes. Another one I wanted to bring up. If you've listened to the last episode and you've acquired some of the names that he's had on the show, another really fun guest you've had on is john hodgman who i i really have enjoyed oh yeah hodgman's a buddy he's been on i think four times yeah Um, his shows are always really enjoyable i've I've really like whenever he comes on your show that's a that's a must listen for me right away yeah i love john he's he's so nice to be on the show yeah it's a good guy not bad well i tell you uh, what ken um tell us what we do here on the cinephile hissy fit we will mail you nothing we will send you nothing and you get (laughs) nothing because here we just bitch about movies so um i can't believe no one has dropped an f-word that show anyway anyway um here for back to the beach we are our format is this uh the recommending lover in this case our guest will go first he has brought this hallmark of the 1980s to us and he will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower his praise and state his high-minded case for all the left um will johnson the middleman here will go second with his own five minutes to kind of present the middle in the haze of which he finds himself in um the hater which is me uh, unfortunately, again, uh, follows with five minutes of uh, my own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual score. Sure. After that, we will open it up for 15 minutes to 50 minutes of shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. Grab your board, your hair pieces. I got to think here because I look at Frankie Avalon and go, that's a rug. Uh, but we're going to go for it and let's go. <laughs> so, uh, Ken, you are first with five minutes. Have at it. Yes. So back to the beach is we're speaking of nostalgia the last time I was on the show. And this is actually one of the first movies that examined uh, nostalgia and updates. So Frankie and Annette were in these terrible series of beach movies from the 1960s, AIP, um, kind of the first things aimed at teenagers. They're god awful. They're super goofy, very cartoonish. Don Rickles is in a bunch. Uh Buster Keaton's in some. They're very bad. They're almost unwatchably bad. But they were very popular and they made a lot of money. And they were sort of a Saturday, Sunday afternoon staple on a lot of UHF stations throughout the 70s and 80s. So this movie is essentially uh, a bit of a Trojan horse in that it ends up, it sort of presented as a nostalgia trip of, hey, what's Frankie and Annette doing now? While being more of a critical examination of the eighties in a very weird way. Uh, it's a fun movie. It's, 
it's uh, a bit of a um, cameo fest. There's uh, Herman is it? I mean, there's there's hundreds of people in this movie, including a number of uh, very famous television actors making cameos. Everyone from Don Adams, cast of Gilligan's Island. Uh, it, it's people that if you didn't grow up watching syndicated television in the eighties, you may not recognize. Uh, it ends up. It's it's in a strange blip of time in that it is before the 90s embracing of irony, and it's sort of the precursor to the Brady Bunch movies, which I think are brilliant because they end up being uh, very 90s movies that end up also being critical of and nostalgic for the 1970s in a way that's very 90s. And this is... Sort of similar in that it is nostalgic for the 60s of these stupid movies that didn't really reflect a time that actually existed. It's almost people who aren't from California making a movie about what we think California is. And as someone who grew up in Boston in the middle of nowhere and loved surf music and this whole sort of 80s California beach aesthetic, this movie was everything to me. Uh, It just was fun. It seemed like a great world to live in. There's some great jokes in it. And again, fantastic soundtrack. Uh, I'm not a Stevie Ray Vaughan fan, but there's an excellent version of Pipeline with Stevie Ray Vaughan and Dick Dale. There's some great songs in this movie. Uh, Fishbone shows up and does a ska song. The movie is a musical, technically. Uh, I love this movie so much that when I've been to LA, well, I often go to LA, I've gone to as many of the shooting locations as I can and uh, really, really enjoyed it and felt special being in the place that Back to the Beach took place uh this was a huge bomb this movie um the producer was frank mancuso jr who also did the friday the 13th movies he completely ruined the director's career as a female director which was unusual at the time um but this movie got good good reviews siskel and ebert loved this movie in fact i can't think of a movie i've seen a more enthusiastic review for from siskel and ebert ever uh it's fun it's worth a watch and i uh, i watch it every summer Dang, Ken. Man, I can't wait. For, I can't wait for Don to crap all over <laughs> Ken's dreams. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> oh man, yeah. I have to do that. Not I know. It's not for everyone. Yeah, you gotta. You're gonna be the bad guy in this one, Don. Um, I right, know. I'm gonna start it. my I'm five. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so I like to think that I'm a fairly intelligent person. I mean, I hope so. I'm a teacher, for God's sake. I'm teaching the youth of America. So. And as a cinephile, uh, and as someone who likes surf music, likes beach culture, kind of like those, I hadn't seen them all, surely, but, um, you know, I'd seen a a handful of the uh, Annette and Frankie, you know, movies. Um, I I do agree with uh, the Ken that they're, they're pretty awful. (laughs) They're not, I mean, they're. If anything, as Don would mention with this film, I mean, at the very most, maybe just a, a handful of marshmallows, you know, no real, no real like uh, meat to, you know, very fluffy, very, very uh, silly kind of things. Um, but I mentioned that I think I'm pretty smart. I, I can definitely see where they're going with in this film. And I do appreciate that. The first thing I thought of as well was the Brady Bunch movies in the 90s, which were, I think people kind of forget um, when those came out, those were those those are very subversive comedies because they were 
playing. They, they were they were subtly smart. Like there was a lot of obvious humor in it, but there was also a lot of very very targeted satire and um, twisted kind of humor related to not only the culture of the nineties, but the seventies culture that Ken mentioned that, you know, well, not seventies culture that you mentioned, but that idea of idealized entertainment that doesn't even really exist. You know, that neighborhood with the Brady Bunch exists does not, those houses do not exist, you know? Um, so I appreciate what the, um, the filmmakers are doing here. And that's why I cannot fully uh, dislike this movie. I, I still gave it three stars in letterbox. And the reason why I did is because I, and I think Don talked about this on a former episode, uh, you know, Roger Ebert had this great thing about how you can not like a movie, but you still need to review it or put yourself in the, in the, in the eyes of an audience. You can't just sit there and just trash a movie you have to see what might work for somebody else or what doesn't work for anybody or whatever. And I, I'm kind of the same way. I feel like I'm a little out of time with this. I feel like I'm a little bit of a stranger to this. I don't know enough about those 60s surf movies. I don't know enough about the bands. I definitely don't know enough about all the TV personalities. I recognized a few of them here and there, obviously. Uh, and then um, there is kind of a, and, and Ken will probably elaborate on this, you know, when, when we go into the open discussion, but, there is kind of a element of if, if the California is a place we didn't know, I also kind of feel like the punk aesthetic, which I was assuming by if, if in 84, when repo man came out, you were in the third wave. I can only imagine what's going on in punk in 87. Um, you know, we're, we're into the metal wars with the hair metal versus the thrash metal and grunges around the corner. And, I, I don't even know where punk is. I'm not enough of a historian, but it definitely does feel like, you know, punk as Annette Funicello would think punk is, you know, there's definitely kind of elements to that, that I, I, I can see. And, but also it's just so, it, it feels so innocent and fun. It, it is a world I want to live in. Like I can understand where Ken is coming from, where he's like, yeah, I want to, I want to kind of live in that experience. You know, like I'll go there to the shooting locations to kind of feel that that presence of of the film and and it's definitely something that even though i kind of feel like like the maybe like the boyfriend who hasn't really met the family and is invited to the family wedding this is kind of how i feel i feel a little bit on the outside kind of enjoying the atmosphere but not totally fitting in and that does that to me doesn't make a bad movie it just makes for something that is probably not for me um Will I, other than the Dick Dale love, because I love Dick Dale, um, and that Pipeline song is excellent, um, am I going to, unlike Alex Cox last week, am I going to dig too deep into the history of the 60s surf films with these two and that cultural cultural element of 1987 and, and do stuff like that? I don't think so. Um, it's not as intriguing to me as the Repo Man uh, subcultures that were exposed there. Um but I refuse to call a movie bad because it wasn't necessarily for me. And I do appreciate what they're going for. It does seem, I, I'm, and even though I like to consider myself a cinephile, I haven't seen every movie ever made. And I would let, but I would like to think this film was actually maybe ahead of its time. We kind of see back to the beach now, like every week with these reunions and um, remakes and re soft reboots and, uh, legacy sequels and things like that. So this this almost feels like it was ahead of its time, and I kind of appreciate it on that level as well. 
All right. There's my bell. All right. Yeah. Hey, I had to get it in there somewhere. Um, no, uh, I, man, what am I? Um, I, I, I will play the press credentials, film critic, critics choice, you know, put the snooty head on and just be the guy who, uh, unlike Siskel and Ebert, um, too much of my head gets in the way of my heart here on this one where I like, yes, uh, I called it on letterbox. Like, like as will quoted earlier, uh, a handful of marshmallows and Hey, a handful of marshmallows is delicious. I'll take a taste. I'll enjoy it. Then I'll keep taking handfuls of marshmallows. Then I'm like, Oh shit, I had way too many marshmallows and you just feel it in your belly a little bit. Um, will you bring it up in a way where like, um, on the outside and stuff like that. And a- as I said, last, last week with the repo man episode, uh, that's kind of me too. Like I, I, I've been to California once and it was last year, you know, uh, Midwestern kid, uh, Annette Funicello was the person who, you know, might as well be the Virgin Mary, you know, in, in the, in the Disney loving households of the Midwest and, uh, the surf culture and punk culture is just not anywhere close to us. So I watched that and you might as well be watching pygmies dance in, in Africa. So, um, I get there and, uh, I love how Will is like calling this movie ahead of its time with, uh, legacy sequels and, and name drop characters and a zillion cameos and all that where yeah guys this this movie broke the multiverse before marvel did you know for the fact that you have you know all, all these little portals and places open where these people that we know of as these cute little characters can coexist in one place that's you know well well healed in the surf culture of all that is is really something but um no i i uh, I, I just, I acknowledge the funness. I, I'll be that person that says that, um, it, the, the smile on your face quality is there for sure. Um, and, and that, that's, yeah, it, it, like I said, it's a handful of marshmallows. There's nothing wrong with a little fluff from every now and then. But, but when I, when I, when I put the, you know, get the scorecard out and play that person, I, it's it's just such a mess and i know it's supposed to be a mess and all that where you know site gangs and homages and in jokes and, and character names from earlier places i get that all that stuff kind of comes in a little bit but it's it's got terrible transitions it's got awful acting um i'll make fun of will's top three movie with uh kind of like the nice guys when your realist character in the movie is the smart ass kid sometimes that's a problem because I'm watching the movie and I'm just watching Bobby uh, played by Damien Slade. And uh, just, I saw as I'm sitting there watching it and he just has his little quips to finish, you know, some diatribe from Frankie or his mom. Uh, and, and I'm just like, I side with Bobby at all times in this movie where I'm just like, Oh yeah, I, I want to look at it and just make fun of it. And it, and it's just, yeah. It, um, I guess we'll set it in a way where like, yeah, it's not for me. Um, you know, this is, this is an eighties mom's answer to, we have the multiverse at home. Don't go out and see something else. You know, it's, uh, I, I, I want to take parts of this movie and do like the Mentos remix thing where, you know, like you can take a whole bunch of scenes in this movie and put that jingle to it. And the gags won't get any better or worse because they were bad to begin with. But, um, I'll, I'll, I'll play the horn dog. I'll stare at Lori Laughlin, uh, as a full house kid. We're like, damn you look good girl. And, uh, that's about as deep, uh, as, as I get with this movie because the dumb boyfriend, the himbo, and then Frankie being Frankie, it just, and I, and I know it's all light and fun and I know I'm not supposed to expect greatness out of something that's meant to be an homage, but, uh, it's, it's just a messy thing for me. And, And like I said, at some point, handfuls of marshmallows just get a little too sugary, a little too much. And, 
They're they're lovely for a while. They're nice that for a quick little taste. I'll, I'll drizzle them on top of some ice cream or a cookie, but I, I can't eat that for 90 minutes or two hours. So I will end my five minutes one minute early by going there because it's well here I'll, I'll, I'll spit my minute out um it is not oh, an irredeemable movie. yeah <laughs> you you went long too motherfucker knock it off so um <laughs> I'll, I'll fill in for your shortcomings but uh no um it is not an irredeemable movie because there is fun to be had for seeing frankie and annette come back and like you said lampoon their own characters a little bit and to have the cameos it is cute and fun to see bob denver especially if you do history on bob denver where he's probably chasing tails and skirts even if with his tv acclaim and all that and still do a little bit of that here Uh, yeah i i get it but i it's yeah it's not the things i love something tells me i would be yeah it it missed me you know and 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 i something tells me if a millennial watches this now they'd be like well wait is this a stranger things episode and they would just also miss it as well so um it's yeah it's that's a handful of marshmallows. And there, look at me ramble through my last minute. <laughs> now, I know I, mean, it. I, know it. Not, I know it. This is certainly not heady artistic cinema. No, um, no. no and I don't and, need that. Like, I, I, I got my guilty pleasures, and this is for sure. Dictionary definition, guilty pleasure. Yeah, and I think it was never designed to be anything more than that. Um, but I think you've praise the movie without knowing it in uh by um talking about how bobby was your character and the the conceit of this movie is essentially gen xers um re-examining their parents youth and it's an interesting way to look at it where you have the cynical gen xer who is like maybe my parents were cool, and then it's kind of like, eh, no, they're not. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, that's about as deep as the movie gets. Um, but I'm okay with that. Uh, and again, if you if you're not totally familiar with or have any sort of affinity for the era that these people came mm-hmm. from, it, it definitely misses that. Um, yeah. you know, direction wise, this movie doesn't feel very cinematic. It has a really, a, a very TV movie vibe to it. For sure. Which very much so. is okay with me as well. Um, yeah, you know, well, I, place for that. I, yeah, it's just a fun summer movie. You know, it's a movie that, you know, you yeah. project it outside. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun summer movie. That's really what I could say. I but get it. I get it, yeah, Don. it's, it's yeah, but it's I know. so much better. It's it's so much better than the original sixties movies that Frankie and Annette did. <laughs> See, and watching this yeah, movie the person who's been subjected to a few of those, I'm there. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it it recognizes those are bad. Yeah, yeah. It recognizes those are and bad. Sometimes that's hard to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it is nice to see that them play um ridiculous sort of caricature parodies of their public personas um frankie mm-hmm. and Annette, without yeah, yeah. doing the the cynical take we would get later of like it's the dark take they're really drug addicts or like totally yeah it's not the, king if the of worst comedy, he has you know? is a midlife crisis and you know a fear of getting back on that board yeah you're right a different movie would would riddle these people with you know inconceivable flaws but uh hey before we get too deep into the crosstalk please enjoy a short announcement from the ruminations radio 
What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at ruminationsradionetwork.com. All right, Will. I, I'm not saying yeah. you're a tiebreaker because you're the middleman, but where are you going? <sighs> from the well, first Other of all, I, I got, no, I got to say, like, it's one thing to attack Ken. Uh, you know, he's he's a guest here and he'll recover. He's a big guy. Uh, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to go after me in your five minutes and attack the yeah. nice guys was uh, uncalled did. for. Um, that well, was. Uh, but warranted. That was a good comp. That's uh, this is this is civil war, sir. This is uh, this is yeah. the end of the podcast. I'll, How dare you? I'll see you on a future uh, episode because it's on. Yeah, I'll see you next. See you next week. Uh, but no, um, yeah, I, I, you, you're going to Richard. Cop- I'll see you in the parking lot. You know, okay, shoot me, Gavin. I mean, I'll put it for the listener who hasn't seen this movie, I will sum it up this nah. way: Pee Wee Herman shows up, sings "Surfing Bird," and then flies mm-hmm. a surfboard into space. Like that, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. that's that's know a it. part of the movie, and that's not somebody, you know, that's not Menachem Golan being like, "This will be great." It will be cinema with the fr- flies yeah, into no. the sky. Like they know what they're doing <laughs> right. with this movie. Yeah, right. that's true. <laughs> yeah, th- there is a little bit of this, and this is this is what was probably better done at least for a mainstream audience that didn't have to necessarily like when I, when we talk about the Brady bunch movie, uh, there's almost yeah. like this kind of hilarious, um, setting where like, you've got this Brady bunch house that's just surrounded by modern life, you know, and there's kind of that strange, like almost alternate reality portal to a different universe that li- lives there. And, th- and they do, that is kind of what's going on in this movie to an extent. Like you kind of, you kind of almost feel like, uh, like the people on the beach are in like a pocket dimension. Annette, uh, especially Annette yeah. is the Brady Bunch <laughs> movie. Her character is the same character, like almost, um, Bugs Bunny esque in her detachment from reality. Oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. 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 There's, there's almost like a level too, where I was, I, I, the, damn me for being wanting some of that cynical, like they're drug addicts, but like, I, I, I like that they introduced this idea that she's like so psychotic about shopping that like, she only makes like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I was- oh yeah. She's like a hoarder, uh, like a, like a, a post-apocalyptic supply of, yeah. well, she was also, so the other joke there is she was the spokesperson for Jif. For Ethan. Oh no, for oh. Skippy, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. For year, for like a decade, she was the face of those commercials. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, that there, there's a lot of jokes like that, that, that get missed. Cause this movie is very of its time. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's true. I, and, and that's, that's the, that's the tough part. And, and, and actually there's an element of this with our episode of repo man, where I, you know, kind of said like as a metalhead kid, um, I was aware of punk, maybe heard some punk stuff there, but I wasn't part of that culture. So like, I kind of felt like a little bit of a little bit of the outside looking in. And I get that with this too. I feel like I'm missing, not from like my inability to understand it more just because, yeah, I, I didn't know about her Jiffy sponsorship. I, I don't know much about those films. I don't necessarily know about the, what the subculture was at that time. So 
it, it there is a disconnect, but only because of my ignorance of it, not because it's bad. Mm. That's why I kind of refuse to give it a bad well, rating, you know? Well, not necessarily as well, because it, yeah. unlike Repo Man, which ends up being a fairly authentic look at a time and place, mm-hmm. this is a movie that is representing a nostalgia for a for a fictitious subculture you know if you if you watch if you watch a movie like big wednesday or you watch you know some of the documentaries like endless summer or stuff like that that's the Mm -hmm. that's the surf beach culture that is of the same era of the beach party movies and those couldn't be more different right right so yeah it's it's acknowledging that they're in a in a false universe you know that's where things that come across as bad acting is it's stylized it's consistent with that other universe you know it's it's cartoonish and silly and again the tone i think for people is is modernly more along the lines of like maybe like a disney channel or nickelodeon sitcom now it's that um yeah it's that sort of vibe but in 1987 no one hey, you that wasn't this, happening. Yeah. No, no, yeah, it's true. It wasn't that, for sure. We're like you said in the Repo Man episode, where we are watching things that were ripped off in better places. You know, like this movie sure. walks, so things like Naked Gun can run. You know, and, and where you name drop a zillion things, show old characters doing different pieces and parts, and and yeah, I love the comp with the Brady Bunch movie where the subversiveness of like, hey, we we're not really out of that culture, but here we are addressing it. Is it's fair in there, but I. I like I said, this movie walked so other ones can run. It's just kind of walking through it more than really stomping his feet. But that's all right. It's supposed to plot on the beach, burn your feet. But in I the mean, sand. to I... me, there, there's some things that make it, you know, when, when he's, <laughs> when Frankie Avalon's using his son's head as a battering ram and his son <laughs> begs him to stop and says, Dad, mm-hmm. my eyes are crossing. I mean, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I guess. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Poor Don. You're, you're, you're gonna. It's gonna be tough. Once once Don digs his heels in, uh, it's it's tough to get. Oh, out I'll of be it. all but, right. Uh, Don't worry. I. I but uh, no, I can. Unlike unlike my co-host, I can acknowledge the joy of other people having it. Just ain't for me. So. I mean, if you've ever seen a movie, these are two obscure movies, but like Troma's mm-hmm. Surf Nazis Must Die, or yeah. like the the movie Surf Two, uh, the joke being there was no Surf One. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, th- this is yeah. like the Cadillac of those kind of movies. Okay, so, uh, fair enough, fair enough, and that's yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it is a tough movie to discuss because yeah, it's like it's almost like when you want to criticize it in one area, it's almost like that is intentionally in there. And when you mm-hmm. want to maybe say it should be one thing, it couldn't possibly be that thing. Like it can't be a serious movie because it is kind of this, yeah. you know, amalgamation it's a of, movie. It is, mm-hmm. even though there's a, occasional moments of uh-huh. like very savage, like not savage, but very twisted, like uh, humor. I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it's it's definitely a very interesting movie. Like I was never bored when I was watching. I was just felt a little left out. Oh, I, I was bored? Counting, I was I was watching my watch. Yeah, ready to. Go. <laughs> but no, was um, it the musical numbers. I, was it no, the musical it, numbers that did it? Yeah, I was just yeah checked out at musical numbers, and I'm not a musical number kind of guy, so that definitely doesn't help. Where I you know long stretches of the movie are just you know that kind of scene a little bit which again showmanship i get it you know and all that but uh and i know that this is the 80s where family movie can have a little bit of um 
can have a little bit of questionable sketchy like it's not gonna be squeaky clean and still be a family movie like like the 80s still are the 80s so like yeah, the yeah I mean they the never house, call anyone you know, dick breath in the like an ET. No, yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're not <laughs> a there. Penis breath. Like, I'm sorry, penis breath. Yeah, penis breath. But we, but we have the surfer dude who's clearly banging the dude's daughter and living with her. But we, you know, we're just sure. But in a very 80s esque way, like we know it's happening, but we're still gonna throw clothes out the window and have a dad that chases and uses the son's battering ram and like oh, and all the there's also hallmarks uh, there's of the also... 80s well, there's also the pajama party, which is definitely oh, jammed yeah. in there for, uh, you know, the teenage boys in the audience. But it's like, let's have a pajama mm-hmm. party. And you're like, holy crap. But I mean, there's a, a, oh, yeah. Annette had a single, a song called Pajama Party in the 60s. Like, oh, really? There was a movie <laughs> called Pajama Party. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's one it, surf one I've seen. So, yeah. Yeah. So it, and actually that where that pajama party scene takes place, I have photos of me on that little bridge. Um, and actually, if you ever played Grand Theft Auto five on, on the PlayStation, mm-hmm. uh, that exact pier is in that as well. If you wanted to, uh, like, you know, kill people on that pier, but, um, <laughs> uh, Sandy's apartment is a restaurant now called Malibu farm. That's actually really, really great. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just, you know, it's a it's an eight it's so yeah. 80s it's garishly 80s if you look yeah. at the poster yeah. that is Good word for the it. 80s you know vomited all over this you know oh, that's posters. what it's amazing i'm looking at my, my yeah. so here's the other thing about that movie i when when annette fraticello died they uh auctioned off a lot of her estate for mm. ms uh charities yeah i have all of her personal back to the peach memorabilia <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah. So I have the soundtrack, her soundtrack copy. It's signed by her and Frankie. I have a, her theatrical one sheet poster. I have a cruise shirt. I have. I'm looking at right now her Back to the Beach promotional, you know, pin. Um, and it's just, it's you know, it's it's a silly Disney kind of movie. Yeah. No, like if I have to give it a, um, and this is not a great comp, but like when you hear Paul Newman talk about his career, like he points all the time. My favorite time making a movie was Slapshot. of all the things he's made. It's the curse and crazy hockey movie. So for Annette to just, you know, have, if, if this was, you know, that equivalent for her, like, Hey, you know, the beach party movies were easy paychecks when I was young, but you know what? Coming back with Frankie and doing this thing that can open it up to new audiences and I can have fun with myself and my image. And yeah, if that's, if that if if back to the beach is that for her who am i to say not have fun so well you know you you bring up something interesting ken uh that uh, i think is going on in hollywood right now um you know Mm -hmm. on your last show on the last show you mentioned twin peaks you know and uh my favorite movie blade runner 2049 like those feel like kind of outliers in the sense of like the nostalgia driven you know like instead of necessarily making something to appeal to the nostalgia audience. They are either making something wholly original or at odds with the nostalgia culture. Sure. Um, and so, and what I'm getting and, and get, tell me if I'm wrong on this, but what you, what you're getting from this is a, is an honest, like this, this doesn't feel to you or never, or never was to you like a nostalgia, like cash grab. This is, an honest look at like evaluating that genre, celebrating it for all its silliness 
Um, hmm. but also poking fun at it. So like this, this isn't like a cynical thing to you, right? This is like a hundred percent. Yeah. It's okay. And it's not like they're like, Hey, you know, it's a huge untapped market where we can make a billion bucks. If we make a remake of those beach movies, <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Because it certainly yeah. wasn't the case. And, and they tried that before, like in 1984, they remade the movie where the boys are as a full on TNA sex comedy. You know, you had in 87, <laughs> actually the same week back to the beach came out. You had summer school with Mark Harmon, which I actually love your revenge of the nerds, mm-hmm. part two nerds in paradise. You know, ah, you had, there we um, go. Those movies, which are fun comedies as well, are more sort of updates of the original genre in that they are beach comedies that are aimed at teenagers. And it's just that teenagers of 1987 are a little more cynical, a little more Van Halen, you know, and a little more hot for teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the movies are going to change as well. And I think that this movie especially coming out that week has an interesting um, contrast with those and and that Gen X boomer um, sort of conflict is Mm -hmm. sort of at the heart of this movie and the, you know, your parents remembering things being great when they were kids when actually they kind of weren't and it's kind of stupid, but you know what? Being mm-hmm. a kid is stupid and being a teenager is kind of eternally stupid. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, is it, it, kind of interesting to me. No, that that is really interesting, and and I'm coming at it a little bit more from because I, I do think we live in nostalgia culture now, and it's it's a, it's very prevalent. Um, here are three recent examples, and I think one is great, one is middling, and the other is awful. Um, all right. And it all comes down to the reason why I asked you about what you feel back to the beaches, you know, whether it's this cynical thing, whether it's this attempt to revitalize something or something that's very honest, like an honest look at something yeah. like to me, like a great example of recent nostalgia is Spider-Man, Spider-Man No Way Home, where the nostalgia isn't there to exist to just appeal to fans. It's not fan service. It was part of the story. What made right. the story propel itself was Tobey Maguire and, you know, uh, Andrew Garfield that they weren't there just to like make a bunch of, you know, fat 40 year olds like me go, yay! I get to see Spider-Man again. You know, like it wasn't like that. The middling one for me is like stranger things where they, they're trying to, mm-hmm. they're trying to balance like telling an original story, but also at the same time, sometimes they're just, they're just going, look, it's the eighties. Can't you tell? You know, uh, yeah, and then yeah. a, a bad example for me is, uh, and, and Don, I don't know how Don feels about this one, but like my least favorite film of last year, maybe second least favorite after Don't Look Up was the oh, Ghostbusters Afterlife kind of... movie, which I yeah. absolutely despise Did with you know? every fiber of my, <laughs> my being because that to me had that feeling of like, let's just make Ghostbusters again. It'll be a soft reboot, but let's throw everything in there that the fans want to see with that has no logical reasoning behind it. And we'll get them in the seats because we are going to do the ultimate fan service picture. So those Hmm. are just three recent examples, but I, but I I feel like we, like I said, when we were talking about, um, you know, legacy sequels and those, I mean, we're seeing in this nostalgia stuff, we're seeing it every week now. And, I just wanted to get your take on that, Kent. Like, how do you feel about that culture? Because this, this Back to the Beach feels, and the reason why I kind of like it, even though I don't really understand a lot of it, is because I kind of feel like it's a little ahead of its time. It was doing stuff yeah. that we take for granted now, 
back then, you know? Well, all the things hmm. you mentioned, none of those are driven by creative artists as passion projects. They're all studios saying, we own this IP, milk mm-hmm. it for everything it's worth. Mm-hmm. And Great the fact that any, anything that remotely comes out entertaining or a value of those is a fluke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they, mm-hmm. the, anyone bringing sort of a new take or creativity or something interesting or well done to those corporate owned IP mm-hmm. is, is, yeah. is an exception. It's not, you know, no one, mm-hmm. even like Ghostbusters Afterlife, even though Ivan Reitman's son, you know, had a, had an investment in it because right. his dad and all this stuff, mm-hmm. those are not ever generated by, you know, my passion project is to, is to, you know, remake this thing or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. This is, <laughs> no one was screaming out for a, a, a remake or a revisit of the beach party movies. You know, no <laughs> studio said, Hey, we have the rights to the beach party movies. Let's make a ton of money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even, even Spider-Man in the Marvel movies, none of every director and everyone involved in all those movies is a gun for hire. Some of them are really True. good at it. Some of them bring personality to it, but they're mm-hmm. all guns for hire. And ultimately the IP and the corporate um, uh, money-making asset is the star yes. of those things. And it's I all to serve that. that. So it's, yeah. even it's, when something is endeared like Spider-Man No Way Home, it's still there to make fucking money and did, for sure. and did what it had to yeah, do to yeah. do that. I, because that I, movie could have I, just as easily bombed of like, why are these two guys here? Like, they pulled it off with some creativity, but at, at the same time, we're breaking multiverses and doing a zillion silly ass. They things. did a good yeah. job with it, but yeah. there's corporate edict that comes down, and and that Absolutely. was you know I, I'm a I'm a lifelong comic book guy as well, and that yeah. was always the downside of Marvel comics and and of the major two in the in the first place was these editorial edicts these you know you have to do a secret wars two crossover you know it's like but we're in the middle right. of a storyline i don't care you know yeah <laughs> like, I, yeah that I, I, was the worst stuff i agree with you well, like 90 percent, only because i think because you're the marvel because <laughs> i'm the marvel show i do think kevin feige comes from it from a passion standpoint i think he does want to tell stories nope. over box office first i do. sure I but, honestly, he's, I, but he's handicapped mm-hmm. by the fact that the studio ultimately is yeah. the is the ultimate arbiter but he is it. the studio though he is marvel studios no so that's really. he's would get rid of him in a day he doesn't own any of that if he dies right. or they fire him it will all go on without him yep and, it will turn away but yes. not as well, but not yes. as well though. Not as artistic. But it doesn't matter. Maybe not to you, but to other people it might, or most right. people probably they wouldn't would. care or notice. Well, they sure, know sure. the exactly. characters. They know the characters, they know the IP. Yeah. Whereas something generated um just because people are interested in it, it right. is a different is a different animal, I think. And well, you know, I think the Brady Bunch movie was kind of the last time that could happen. I mm. think as, uh, you know, I, I complain a lot about the 1996 Telecommunications Act and, and you know, say it really was the worst piece of legislation that, that Clinton was a part of. But essentially what it did was it allowed all IP and all entertainment 
wealth to be owned by two to three companies. Mm -hmm. And as a result, that's why we get these massive, massive, um, you know, done by committee things. And sometimes they're good. And, and that to me, that's impressive (laughs) that anyone could. I will totally agree with you hundred percent. But I won't go off on my, my soapbox. I, I I will defend (laughs) Marvel studios, but other than that, I totally agree with you hundred percent. Just not on the Marvel studios part, but other than that, I'm I'm with you. I'll I'll bring, I'll bring the push. I'll bring the push of that sentiment back to this movie. Is there a level where, because the cameos are sprinkled in, in, mm-hmm. in, yes, in a examinatory fashion, but it's still in a level of self-serving fashion where by the time Bob Denver, Don Adams, Alan Hale Jr., you know, pick anybody, Jerry Mathier, <laughs> Mathers, is that still sprinkles of, hey, we bring these people in, it'll get a gag and a laugh, and it brings a few more eyes, and it and it serves us as a popularity contest. Like, is there still it a piece? I know we call be... this movie honest and genuine, but is there a piece of it there where, like, they're showing off and squeezing a few extra things in? So that's a gag. I think the gag is correct. The They're yeah. certainly not pulling anyone into the movie to go see, you know, the cast of Leave it to right. Beaver showing Dining. up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure, also, sure, sure. that kind yeah. of cameo we're, we're was... Day. Yeah, and that kind of cameo was was unusual at the time to have that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, yeah, it, it it had been attempted before. There was NBC tried three times to do a series called USA High, and the idea was we'll have uh, TV child TV stars of the fifties and sixties will be the teachers now, and we'll have um. you know the young hot people are the are the high school students, and they they made a pilot twice for this that with the same script. So there's two made for TV movies with the same script, different casts, some different casts, but like, you know, mm. uh, you know, the teachers are like Tony Dow and, um, <clears throat> Mr. Hand, uh, you know, oh. and the students, <laughs> yeah. the students are Michael J. Fox in one of them. And, um, you know, it, it and it, it doesn't work. Um, This movie doesn't try to do that where they're like, we're mixing the old and the new. This is kind of like the, the audience for this movie will think it's, will think it's funny that Barbara Billingsley is, you know, the, the color commentator at the surf, you know, the surf contest. Yeah. I don't think Hmm. these are here. Like these aren't cash grab cameos the way they are in other places where I think when I, when I'm the thing that came to mind where you were talking was like, um, the new peacock saved by the bell where like mario yeah. lopez Mar- you know mark paul gosler like all that og cast is brought in to be the parents slash teachers and then yeah it's the hot young things they want to put there with it trying to play you know the same tunes again so mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. I, and that's an example of just it's forced for the sake of force yeah yeah, and this one isn't. Mm. You can't play the same tunes again. This is. It, it, it's almost right. like exactly like these. You know, all these old tunes are broken, which is why we're making fun of it here. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I was gonna say a good comp, like you said, is Twin Peaks again, where uh, okay. David Lynch, d- d- the Return, where David Lynch masterfully like is every episode. You're like, okay, is Agent Cooper gonna be back in this episode? And he always is like, nope, every time. But that is what you expect to see every episode is you're waiting mm. for that agent Cooper to say his 
you know, to say his little lines about, hey, it's a wonderful day for pie and coffee. You know, like you're waiting for that. And David Lynch is like, I am not going to give this to you. But he does you know? give it to you in a way that you go, oh, that sucked. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> you goes, wait till like yeah. hour 17 and you're like, what? Oh, he's back? Like, you know, it's like, and yeah. then it's over. You're like, what the hell? You know, it's weird. <laughs> well, I think what it boils down to is the whole thing of like, this is ruining my childhood and you're ruining this <laughs> franchise or whatever. And it's the, mm-hmm. and I, I can never properly, um, properly attribute this quote, but there was an author, Alan Moore said it, but he wasn't the first one who said it, but there's an author who was asked, I think it was Ray Bradbury, you know, they're making all these movies based on your books. Are you, are you afraid they'll ruin your books? And he says, what are you talking about? They're all right here on the shelf. Mm. And that's the case mm-hmm. here where <clears throat> if you're not going to do something new with it, if you're not going to do something interesting with it, mm-hmm. don't bother. And it falls into the case of, yeah. you know, David Cronenberg said he was asked why he remade the fly. And they were like, is this your favorite movie? Is this why you remade it? And he said, no, I, it's a terrible movie, but it's a great idea. So I executed it, uh, you know, in, in, mm-hmm. in a way that I can do based on this, this germ yeah. of an idea that I thought was good. And that is where, um, this movie sort of falls into that realm where, you know, let's take that artificial world, extrapolate where these weird artificial characters, where would they be in 20 years? Are they selling Mm. cars? You know, uh, (laughs) is she obsessed with peanut butter? Do they have a punk kid who hates them and thinks they're lame, even though these are like the coolest (laughs) teenagers in the world 20 years ago, you know, those sorts of things. That's an interesting take on this without being a nostalgia fest. And, And to me, and without being a completely cynical, look at this dumb shit. Look at these idiots. Oh, they're all really, yeah, perverts it could have and, easily you know, fallen to that for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think it's a unique movie in that respect because I can't think of anything else of another movie that does something like this. That that was what I was going to ask mm. you, Ken. Is I wanted to ask you, like, what is a modern comp? I mean, we we talked about Brady Bunch Ooh. a little bit. I think there's elements of that. We we talked about Twin Peaks: The Return, which has kind of the more darker aspect of this kind of take, you know. Um, but what is a modern comp for this? Is is there one like that you can think of in the last 10 years or something mm. where because I can see it in my head. I can see this type of movie existing based on the culture we live in right now, this nostalgia bait culture, but I can't pinpoint something exactly like this that is specifically commenting on a time and place and type of person, like you said, a fictionalized version yeah. of something popular that doesn't truly exist. I can't think of one off the top of my head. What do you think? No, I, I, I think oddly and this, you will not agree with this and this will sound crazy. I think the closest kind of vibe of movies to this are something like Peggy Sue got married, mm. something like okay. even back to the future where yeah this is almost commenting on the 50s for sure yeah yeah this is almost like those movies without a sci-fi element in that Mm -hmm. you know you're you're smashing the 80s and the you know the the 30 year cycle 20 year cycle of nostalgia and the way the cool people become the middle-aged people you know um yeah that's interesting that's interesting take because when i think of Hmm. those two movies uh, specifically, and this is why I love Peggy Sue Got Married, is we, I mean, I've had this fantasy as well in my head. Like, would if I was 17 again, but I had a 35 or 40 year old's brain, would I do things differently? <laughs> and that almost takes those, 
those two movies almost take that concept into reality because it is like like a guy from the Back to the Future, perhaps. Well, the sequels are a little dark, but not as dark as sure. perhaps Peggy Sue got married, where she goes back and she's like, holy crap, this is not as idyllic as I remember it. It's not as idyllic as they tell me. And holy shit, like that thing we thought was going to be great in life, you know, I'm stuck now as a 40 something living a shitty life, you know, like it's, it's yeah. almost like, you know, it's, it's, it's not like that's a, that's a, that is a great comp. That is a great I gotta, comp. I love that. I got, I got a loose comp and it's, um, it's, uh, it's a Netflix movie from this past summer with Rebel Wilson. It's senior year where she is this, she's a 37 year old woman. She wakes up from a 20 year coma after like falling from a cheerleading accident. And she decides to go back to high school to earn that missing diploma. So it's this, so it's like a 1999 kid trying to walk into 2021 high school and that clash of what she thought was important and what she thought was interesting and trying to apply that to now. And it's it, 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 the same way you comment on like, obviously like 1999, it's the borderline misogyny of like what a girl thought she needed to be in the American pineness of the era versus today. And, making fun of today of like the Instagram, you know, influencer take that kids have or the, you know, the gender fluidness of today and stuff like that, where it, it pokes, obviously not very deep. It's a rebel Wilson movie, but, uh, um, but yeah, it, it, it attempts to go there without a sci-fi element. That yeah, what, it does it. Oh, go ahead. It, I'm sorry. It does it in a way without doing stranger in a strange land. It does it in a way without right. doing Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court where right, right, ultimately right. the, the middle-aged person is better off by revisiting their youth, realizing mm-hmm. what parts of it were bullshit and rediscovering the parts of it that made them vibrant yeah. and, you know, excited about life and realizing what matters and what doesn't, you know, the, the selling cars thing is bullshit that you don't need to do anymore. That doesn't mm-hmm, make any mm-hmm. sense, but Hey, you know, surfing was fun and you had a good time doing it and, and you were youthful and, and things were great when you did that, right. just that part. But a lot of it was also garbage and recognizing yeah. that, um, and, and I think that's like a big part of like putting bridging the two halves of it's a midlife crisis movie is what it is totally, in a lot of ways, totally. you know, um, and 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 presenting a midlife crisis is not necessarily a bad thing sure. in that you're reexamining your youth and trying to um, move forward the good parts of it while not being shackled with either um, being stuck in bad parts or being way too nostalgic for a youth that really never existed and you'll never attain because you Mm -hmm. never did in the first place, even if you seem to think you did. Yeah. Well, that's where senior year ping for me for a bit there. With what you guys are talking about too, it also reminded me of uh, a recent documentary that came out. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have seen it, but it was the Woodstock 99 documentary that came out on HBO. Mm. Did you guys see that? I've not, I avoided not it because I had such bad, uh, mem- so many people I knew went to that and yeah, yeah. It, it's this, it's, it is the same thing. It actually makes a very compelling case and, and we're going to get political here for a minute, and, uh, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> but they make this strong case that, that this was like the foundation that movie makes like the strong case, but this was the foundation of Trumpism, like sure. of the white, because you mm. had, they have two amazing scenes in this documentary, like that really make you think of like, like 2016 Trump land. The first one is you have DMX on the stage and you've got 99% white audience 
singing mm-hmm. out loud the my n-word song <laughs> like and no one's batting an eye you know and mm-hmm. then the second one is the limp biscuit thing where it's like they caused all these riots and rapes and stuff well i'm not gonna say they caused it they were definitely spurring on a atmosphere that probably didn't need that at the time by doing a song called break stuff which is a hilarious song about it's almost ties into repo man of like they're just you're just white suburban kids and you're talking right. about how rageful you are and you want to break stuff, you know? And it's you unknowingly a parody of itself. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and then they start literally breaking stuff. And it it's almost like what would happen if that was an all black crowd breaking stuff? We would have had the SWAT teams coming down in helicopters, you know, but right. it was oh, that sure. white it was that white privilege of like no, I'm white and I can break stuff and I can say the N word whenever I want and I can do whatever I want. Um, and I'm owed things. My generation is owed a Woodstock. You guys won't shut up about how great it was. And we, we, we deserve that. It's like, I'm owed a culture and also I'm the real victim here. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I know it's not exactly, it's tangentially tied to what mm-hmm. we're talking about, but if you guys do have a chance to see that, I mean, by the end of that movie, it you feel like you're in a Mad Max film. It is a post-apocalyptic nightmare. Like, it is... Right. I can't even believe that, like... And you kind of mentioned it, Don. I think you might have done this subconsciously, but you were just talking about, like... You were talking about what it was like in 99 versus 2021. And, you know, mm-hmm. these seeds of change, like, what leads to the Trumpism? What leads to that white privilege yep. overload? It doesn't come in a vacuum. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It starts true somewhere. And and that movie, like that. that documentary does a, a wonderful job of showing you. And, and I know it's a little different than like the sixties film, the sixties films being reflected on in the eighties, but you know, for, for men of our age, I, I know me and Ken are mm-hmm. almost, we're, all, we're like, I know your birthday is like two days away from mine. And you're, I mean, I think you're about a year or two older than me. And Don's a couple yeah, years turn, older than me. Turn 42, June 28th. Right. I turned 40 on June 30th. So I turned 40 on June 30th. So like 99 does represent, like it reminds me of high school. It reminds me of, I was a sophomore in high school. You know, I I think of some of the good times I had, but I was probably like this. I went to like a really prestigious private, like private Catholic school. Like, and I can Mm -hmm. imagine I would hate every single one of my students, every single one of my co-students now in this day and age, based on what we probably were back then. But yet we do, we do look in the past 20 years, 30 years with Mm -hmm. those rose colored glasses. And then we, when we really examine it, we go, that's absurd. That was made up. That was insane. We weren't good. Yeah. Yeah. And but even with back to the beach here, like, in some regards, they're writing some wrongs with this. And again, it's it's sure. this is not a deeply okay. social movie, but like when you look at the introduction of Fishbone here, which is a black group, um, you know, playing uh relatively authentic sort of beach party music, and the original beach party movies are the whitest thing ever yep. and mm-hmm. are playing rock and roll that is still only a when the beach party movies came out 
Rock and roll is like 10 years old, right? So it is yeah. not far removed from the the African-American artists who really were the the, the foundation of these things. Yep. yep. So, but, but are yet completely absent from those movies. So, you know, part of it is like, hey, it wasn't that great then in some regards. So let's kind of rewrite some of that a little bit in a good way. That's mm-hmm. it's interesting you bring that up because you're you're an Elvis guy, right, Ken? I am. Like, okay. Did you did you see the Boz Lerman Elvis movie? I did not. Out? Okay. I don't leave my house. I will. <laughs> I won't spoil it. I won't spoil any of the movie for you. But it it kind of does the same thing you're talking about. Like there is a lot of arguments out there. We talk about this on our Elvis episode. But there's a lot of arguments out there that you know some people think Elvis. You know, uh, did cultural its own appropriation. Thing, but some Elvis, people yeah. think there was a cultural appropriation stuff like that. What Baz Luhrmann does with the movie is very interesting because it doesn't address it in that way. It doesn't come at it from the cynical point of view or from a damning point of view on Elvis. What it does is in the early parts of the movie and then sprinkled throughout is it celebrates black music. and yeah. mm-hmm. Which I think Elvis did. I would argue he did all yeah, that. No, exactly. So, so instead yeah. of like trying to make a commentary of like, did he steal this? Did he not? Like, instead, what it does is it gets to the root of it and says, regardless of whatever Elvis did, this music exists that he might have been mm-hmm. inspired by. And it celebrates it. Like, there are moments in the Elvis film that have nothing to do with Elvis. It shows, like, you know, speakeasies and uh, they have Gary Clark Jr. just jamming out in the beginning of the movie, just like rocking out. And you're just like, you're in awe, just like Elvis is as a boy. And they show Beale Street and like, they have this amazing performance by this person who plays little Richard. That is just fantastic in the film. And it, but it's about honoring that music as opposed to like trying to like point fingers and, and in a way it's, it's writing mm-hmm. the wrong of like the argument about Elvis is, is, is it's, it's about the wrong thing. It, it's trying to like blame Elvis for something when yeah. that was a systemic problem. It was the black music existed and, and no one would listen to it because they were black. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be popular yeah, because they were black. Be- yeah, it's not going to be mainstream. There, there was not a black artist who was capable of doing what Elvis did, um, not not performance wise, but right. breaking through to mainstream white culture. Exactly. Um, you know, and and if you look at, and again, this is a tangent, but like I love Little Richard, but if you know who yeah, Escarita yeah. is, Little Richard stole everything from that guy, everything, oh, wow. and Chuck Berry stole everything from his piano player. If you've ever seen hail, hail rock and roll, you know, it's evident he stole everything. So it's, you know, that's a black guy stolen from another black guy. So it doesn't, but it's, it's socioeconomic, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a creative theft of the guy who's the true innovator, um, you know, gets usurped by the guy who's a better showman. You know what I mean? And it, it just has extra, um, you know, there's a lot more extra weight to it in the Elvis situation. But for Elvis, like to me, the best stuff he ever did is post um, comeback special. The the sort yeah. of huge and band, the movie when you gospel see gospel influenced. Yeah, no one did that before him. No one did that yeah. after him. And the rock and roll stuff is kind of garbage, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah, it's, yeah. When, it's, and it's, when it's, you it, when you see Lerman's film, that is like the mid movie climax where that reinvention of Elvis that comes out of that comeback special just catapults the movie further. And it's awesome. 
And, and if you want to talk about ripping out black black artists like the Rolling <laughs> Stones, the Beatles, sure. Led Zeppelin, like mm. they literally are, we're talking riff for riff, you know, yep. we're talking yeah. lyric for lyric. And I never hear that kind of like those racists, you know, I never hear that about those guys. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard a little bit, I'm not like a huge hip hop guy, but I do like most deaf. I don't know what I, and I've, I apologize. I do not know what his name is now. I know he changed his name uh like to an islamic name so please forgive me for not remembering his name now but um he he would have a lot of songs about black history and talk about this stuff but it was very very limited it wasn't there wasn't a lot of stuff out there going like well the rolling stones did this i I think people like there's certain things that become institutions and people are afraid to go against that that status quo sure um going back to films Mm -hmm. i it it reminds me of uh, there's a clip i retweeted it recently of of john carpenter on the set of halloween and they had he was being interviewed by this very like pompous film cine east kind of guy that was like oh what about the films of robert altman blah 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 and john carpenter's like robert altman sucks I think that, uh, you know, I think that that movie, this movie was okay, but that movie sucks and that movie sucks. He's not a great filmmaker. You try to say stuff like that today, like the film Twitter reverse will crucify oh, you, yeah. you know, like you can't say anything bad about, about Scorsese. No. Or, well, The Long mm-hmm. Kiss Goodbye is a great, great movie. Oh, you no, know, absolutely. No. That, that was just his opinion. But like, yeah, he was like this Cine Eastie guy was like throwing out all these big names and, and Carpenter's like, yeah, they suck. I don't like their movies. And it was like, I, I kind of missed that uh, breath of fresh air, you know, sure. like yeah, where sure. you don't have like, because now everything is so guarded and gatekept. You, you can't, you cannot have criticism, you know, like I'm a, like I said, we started the show as me being a Marvel defender. Like, like if I ever say me, me jokingly known as the Marvel show, like if I ever make one criticism about a Martin Scorsese film, God forbid. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. I have to accept all of Scorsese as a master or none. And we're losing. And the other thing, Ken, we talk about on the show a lot too, is like, we live in this like greatest movie ever, worst movie ever. There's oh, no everything's black game. and white. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. No one, no I one gets subtlety. No one can yeah. do context. No one can do intent. No one can put something in its, um, mm-hmm. you know, cultural context of when something was made. And it, it, it yeah, it's, it's it, a very... It, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling with it because my recent experience and and Don can attest to this, uh, can see this Mm -hmm. as my interactions on Facebook, but like that predator prequel came out prey and I thought it was fine. Like I, I really thought it was a fine movie. I gave it three stars out of five. It was fine. But like you have everyone saying it's the greatest predator movie of all time or it's the yeah. best one since the original. It's the greatest movie I've ever seen. We've had like five movies come out this year that are the greatest movie that's ever been made. The Batman came out. Mm-hmm. Everyone said it was the greatest movie ever made for about three weeks. Oh, yeah. When Dune came out, it was the masterpiece of all masterpieces. Like it, every week, it's a new movie. Everything's a masterpiece. Or you get this, the, the total crazy part. Like if you look at some of the reviews of like maybe the more right-leaning people who think that like mm-hmm. Prey is like this attack on men you know like like it, it there's just no middle ground and i found myself like so lonely because i was just like okay it's don and i did this with no man land which won best picture like we were we were both kind of like yeah it's fine it's yeah. a fine yeah. movie like and people were like how dare you it's 
Chloe Zhao's masterpiece and it's best picture. And it's, and we're like, it's fine. I mean, I think Chloe Zhao made a better movie in the writer. I'm sorry. I just, here's how I look at everything. Like, I feel like almost every movie should be looked at independently in that, you know, you see the new predator, you don't go, how is it compared to the old predator or whatever? You know, you go, this is a movie on its own. I'm going to watch this. Like the other predator movie doesn't exist. Um, you know, unless there's some sort of continuity thing that I need to, you know, it's like a direct sequel or something. Um, and the other piece is, you know, two things. One, did you enjoy watching it? You know, were you lost in watching it? Were you looking at your watch? Was it a slog? Um, You know, did you enjoy watching it? And, and this is something that you brought up when we were talking about Repo Man, did it stay with you? So even a movie like you mentioned, Highwaymen, you were like, "Ah, I don't know about this, but then you kept thinking about it and you couldn't stop thinking about it. And to me, that's a good movie because it did what art should do. Mm -hmm. It stuck with you and it made you really, really, really think about it. And sometimes there are movies where you're like, I don't know if that was a good movie, but here I am three days later, still trying to figure out if that was a good movie. So you know what? That's a good movie. (laughs) No, absolutely. I mean, I love it. And then there's some movies that you know, you saw and you still don't think you've seen it. Like, yeah. Uh, like I, I, the one that comes to my mind instantly is like, I've seen both Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. But when someone asks me if I've seen them, I, I have to think for a minute because I remember mm-hmm. virtually nothing about them. I so, have no memory of them. I have mm-hmm. no thoughts about them, positive or negative. I just kind of go, Oh, Oh yeah, I, I did see that. And, and you know, that's, and that's okay to have that, that feeling. Be, yeah. And that'll be back <laughs> to the beach for me. Not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, that was that was that was licorice pizza for me. You know, I was like, oh, yes. right there with you. You know yeah. what? Like, no, I get no, finally made little piece here, little piece there, but empty at the end. Like, I, I okay, I saw it. And yeah, done, me, and, you know. me and Don, me and Don were heavy outliers when that one came out. Like, we were both. Mm-hmm. I was more down on it than he was, but like when we came yeah. out, we're, we, we came out of the theater and we're like, meh. Like people were like, "How dare you? It's Paul Thomas Anderson's. He's the greatest uh, of all time." And it's like, and and I get in fights all the time. And, and listeners of the show will know, especially our feeling film people. Like I will shit all over Christopher Nolan all day, and everyone gets sure. on me and hates me so much because I hate Christopher Nolan so much. And people just I ate that. pancakes next to him once. Oh really? There you go. He, I can't yeah. see him eating pancakes. Like what is yeah, like? There's a place, there's a place in LA <laughs> called the Griddle, and it's right next to the Directors Guild on Sunset Boulevard. Oh. And it's a, it's a good All breakfast right. place, but it's a little bit annoying in that it's one of the places in LA when you walk in, everybody stops what they're doing and looks at you to see if you're famous and if you're someone worth looking uh, at. Um, yeah. And yeah, Christopher Nolan was sitting next to me while while I ate pancakes. Wow! Did you? Did you tell him that Inception sucks and it's not really that great? Like when you talked to him, uh, I never bothered to see Inception. And I what was did he do the Prestige? Yes, that's uh, the one I haven't seen. The one film I haven't, hated, I haven't seen. It's ridiculously stupid. Um, and, and, and like a twist where I'm like, is this a parody of twists? Don't <laughs> tell me because it's the only one I haven't seen. And no, it's fine. That, it's fine. Yeah, everyone wants me to I see it for some movie. reason. Yeah, I I am a Christopher Nolan. Uh, atheist <laughs> and people can't fine. handle it the, the batman movies were fine or, you know whatever. Oh, see, that's the thing like i tell people like i go dark knight three out of five i i had a good sure. time it's edited horribly it's it doesn't make a lot of sense in some places too long 
too long, and people yeah. are just Michael like, King's miscast. Mm-hmm. Christian Bale is a terrible Bruce Wayne and a bad Batman. Yeah, he, yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I remember people were just like, "How dare you!" The Dark Knight is the greatest comic. It's the reason why we have ten Oscar nominees now because they were too afraid to nominate it. It's like, okay, I, I, I mean, the it's Batman fine. was the best. The Batman was the best Batman movie behind Mask of the Phantasm. There you oh, go. So you got, you're a Mask of the Phantasm fan. I like that. I'm a Mask of the Phantasm it's a, fan. It's as fantastic. Well. It should be. It's great. I think it's, it's one of the best. Oh, you were you were one of the six who saw it in the theater yep. on Christmas, huh? Thanks. <laughs> Christmas or Thanksgiving? Yeah, Christmas. It was Christmas. Christmas. It was a, mm-hmm. it was a Christmas yeah. release, and it was. Uh, God, that's a great movie, man. That's a that's a good one. But yeah, but people, yeah, people get in their lanes. They dig their heels in, and I think talking to you, we'll, we'll tie it back to back to the beach, and we'll. We'll wrap yeah. things up because it's getting late for you. But um, it talking to someone like you, Ken, makes me kind of appreciate it a little bit more. And because mm-hmm. I'm seeing it from an angle that I, you know, didn't see it from before. I think I think I maybe came in with a certain expectation of it, thought of something different, was a little upset at myself for being ignorant of this stuff. And then I realized that, yeah, there, there's a certain audience for this and there's a certain benefit to something and that's why I refuse to say it's bad, but I do have a, a better appreciation for it now that I can see where yeah. you're coming from and all that knowledge you're dropping on it. So, and I will no, say I'll, this I'll movie was made. This movie was made to be watched in 1987, like okay. more than okay. any other movie I can think of. This is a movie that's like we're going to make this for a 1987 audience and not think about any sort of longevity. Yeah, yeah you know, I, the I'll, first I'll, time I'll I that, like, um, I'll, I'll second uh, that where like. As much as I have my have my lanes and have my likes and my dislikes, I really do enjoy hearing, even if it's a movie I hate or dislike or just don't find value, okay. as much value in, it's awesome to hear people just shower, shower, show and shower their love for a movie they, they care about. And that that's the fun part is my five minutes, I, my hand is on my fist just listening to you wax and it was wonderful. Yeah, all right. and that's why I picked this movie too because it's a it's again it's not heady cinema it's not a movie yeah. people really ever bring up or talk about um, but it's a fun movie it's a fun watch like I you know I don't have kids because it's the only gift I can give to the world but um, you know it's a movie I feel like if I did I would like throw this on for my kids and be like enjoy yeah oh man your your kids would be so punk and so like <laughs> they're, you're, you're, well yeah right? they would grow up to like well because it all, it all happens i mean don is lucky because he still has he still has a little like nine he's got sing, here, he's yeah. still got single digits i got a teenager mm-hmm. in the house and um i'm pretty much only liked when uh i can give her something you know but uh, no I, and i exaggerate a little bit but yeah no that's 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 part of it and uh this is something I, I think I'm, I want to revisit with a little bit more knowledge, but I think if I ever watched it again, I don't know if I would anytime soon, <laughs> I would, I would definitely maybe watch it with a different, with a different viewpoint for sure. You know? Yeah. And it's also like, if you never watched the Elvis movies, like it's definitely like influenced by those movies, you know, it's, it's sure. the, the, the sort of, um, junk food cinema of the sixties. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, writ large not just the beach party movies that that sort of that generation is sort of you know what we're what we're looking at here 
Right. Okay. Yeah, I need to. I, I I think it would be beneficial just just for my own interest to to dig into some of that history anyway. Also, um, I would recommend watching Change of Habit, which is the most insane Elvis movie, by the way. Change of Habit. Right. See, I, don't, I, I can't. Even, I don't even. I, th- I think I can count on two fingers the amount of Elvis films I've seen. So it's definitely it's a- the last movie he made. Mary yeah. Tyler Moore stars in it as an undercover oh, nun. Wow. Elvis plays well, a doctor who works in the ghetto and specializes in the treatment <laughs> of autism via tickling. There are full-on <laughs> musical numbers. Oh, Elvis beats up pimps with karate. It is absolutely <laughs> insane. When you, uh, me and Donna as teachers, when you say treats autism with tickling, uh, there was about yeah. eight lawyers that were like, oh, yep. we got to defend somebody in the district. Yep. Like, yep. That's yep. what I was thinking. There's an amazing scene with this little girl who like is, is um, nonverbal and he's going like, come on, come on, get mad. Come on. And he's like tickling her in the in the doctor's office. And they're all like Mary Tyler Moore and these other nuns are like looking on like, oh, oh, is he gonna is he gonna fix her? And then he, you know, he fixes oh my God. <laughs> Dude, I gotta watch this instantly. It's crazy. I'm gonna turn that I'm going to uh put that on as soon as we end this recording. <laughs> oh, and let me know that. what you think. Because it, it is on the cusp of black exploitation and it it is nuts. It is an insane movie. And there's some good songs in it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. on the list. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you about a movie off the air that I need to get your sure. opinion on. But we will go ahead and uh, let's get uh, let's get let's get you to bed, sir. You're on the East Coast. You're up late. I know. This is um, going to be rough tomorrow. Oh, I'm sorry, man. But hey, uh, if if you could just let the people know where we can find you, social media, websites, fax machine numbers, whatever. Yeah, I'm at iCanRead.com or TVGuidanceCounselor.com at TVGuidance and at Kenneth W. Reed on all, all the things. Yeah, great follow, response to you, great guy. Happy you were on the show with us, man. It was, it was well, a true. You. Thanks for asking a, me. It was a true yes, honor, man. Big Seriously, thank you, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, you want to follow us on Twitter at CinephileFit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, the new Banana Meter, and me and Don are charter members of the new Independent Film Critics of America group. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.